All of us who are born again in here were indeed on that hellbound race, indifferent to the cost. Hallelujah, what a Savior. <clears throat> John 14 this morning, once again, John 14, <clears throat> title of my message, A Peaceful Resolution, A Peaceful Resolution. <clears throat> One verse for us, really, that we're going to be focusing in on this morning is verse 27 of John chapter 14. <clears throat> we think about the word departure. Um, departures can be a difficult thing. It can be a difficult experience, especially when it's anticipated. You know that someone you care about, someone that has been with you perhaps for a period of time, years perhaps, is about to leave. They're about to depart. Maybe it's a departure that is temporary, and you'll see them again soon. It still can be painful. Maybe it is more permanent. Maybe it's an overseas relative or that leaves, or someone who you know, you just, you're not going to see them again on this earth. You know it, they know it, and it's hard. Perhaps you, you are preparing for a departure. Maybe a loved one is dying, the time is drawing near, and they will be gone never to see them again, this side of glory. Then there are times when we are not prepared for departure in many ways. Maybe a sudden death. Either way, we can relate to some of the pain, some of the emotions, some of the inner turmoil that these disciples were going through by way of departure. In John 14, the departure of Jesus was at hand. He, is, he was leaving them on good terms, as it was. He was leaving them with a promised peace, a peace that only Jesus Christ can give, a peace that they needed, a peace that we need in our lives continually. The disciples were troubled of heart. They were fearful, and Jesus was ministering to them. Even as he was hours away from his suffering, his torture, his crucifixion, and as he would bear the wrath of God the Father upon him, he thought of his disciples, and as we'll learn from John 17, he thought of us as well, his children, his people whom he died for. Let us pray. God, we look to you today in a world that is in much turmoil, lives in turmoil. People are raging in so many ways. Only peace comes through Christ. Let us comprehend that and let us meditate upon that. Let us learn more about that this morning, O Lord. The peace that you have given those of us in here who are born again and the peace that is needed for those who are lost. I ask God that your Holy Spirit would be upon me this day, this morning, even just this one last time. There's no promise of tomorrow. There's no promise of next Sunday. God, give us urgency. Amen. A promised peace. A promised peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. 
peace that Jesus leaves, peace that he gives as a parting gift, a farewell. Whatever this peace is, one can only have this peace in and from Jesus Christ. This peace is closely connected to the giving of the Helper, the Holy Spirit, who is the Comforter. If there is no Holy Spirit within, there is no peace within. There is no comfort within. This peace is something that Jesus is leaving behind for his disciples. And it's also something that he's giving to them, a treasure. Peace or shalom is not something new in the New Testament, but it is our first mention here in this discourse of Christ. We find peace given in the Old Testament, such as a, a benediction, number 6, uh, 24 through 26, the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. A promised peace we find in the Old Testament. A peace we find in the New Testament. And a peace that Christ gives his people today. A peace, a farewell. That is the theme here as he is leaving. Similar to chapter 16, verse 33 when Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In that world you, you will have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. And we see peace as his departure, a farewell. And then we see after his resurrection, it's not a farewell, but a welcome. In chapter 20, verse 19, after his resurrection, when he came and to be amongst his disciples when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And in verse 21, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And in verse 26, after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. The Prince of Peace, as the Lord is called in the book of Isaiah. End of which Isaiah 52, verse 7 says, How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. And the Apostle Paul picks up on this in Romans chapter 10, and he says this as, as well, and he applies this to us as well. In chapter 10 and verse 8, Paul says, what does it say? The word is near to you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, a person believes resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him who they have not believed? How will they believe in him who they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. This is an application for every single one of us in here this morning who is a Christian. These feet that we have that bring good news of good things that men and women can have peace with God through Jesus Christ. That is our accountability. That is our responsibility just by way of a side note for us this morning. This peace that Jesus, Jesus promises a peace in tribulation, 
the promise of giving them peace is followed by his instruction. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Troublesome circumstances, the theme out of which this peace was given. It's not as if they were just being hanging out, having a great time, and Jesus says, by the way, let this peace continue that's in your heart already. These words were said on the verge of his imminent arrest, his torture and crucifixion. And Jesus, the one who was going to face all of that, is the one saying, I give you peace. The disciples were not quiescent in their souls at this point in time. They were distressed. They were perplexed. The word peace here can be further defined uh, by William Hendrickson as the following. The absence of spiritual unrest and that assurance of salvation and of God's loving presence under all circumstances which results from exercising faith in God and in his Son and from the contemplation of his gracious promises. This peace is the same peace that we see in Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit, as we study and are studying on Wednesday night. It is the same peace that the Apostle Paul mentions in Philippians. I'll just read it for you. No need to turn there. I might turn there again. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 through 8. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute. If there is any excellence in anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. So we see the promise of God, the exhortation, be anxious for nothing, everything by prayer and supplication. Let your request be made known to God. And then the promise and the peace of God, will, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts. And then, brethren, this is what we are to focus on, and that is verse 8. Let our minds be fixated upon the things of the Lord. Jesus gives them peace and says, I will leave you with this peace to these disciples who were disturbed in heart, who were fearful. So we have the peace with God, the peace with God. This inward peace is given to those who repent of their sin and place their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the peace with God. These are the ones who are no longer at war with God, no longer at enmity with God, and are no longer enemies of God. I've said it before, we say it again, you're either for Jesus or you are against him. There is no middle ground. Peace with God is only possible through the mediatorial work of Jesus Christ, through the cross. You either have peace with God this morning or you do not. Now, we cannot base this peace with God on some euphoric feeling. It must be based on whether or not you are born again, whether or not God has saved your soul or not. That is how you may have the peace with God, being justified by Him alone, by God or not. Now, not discounting or dismissing the feeling of peace that one has with God. Indeed, some of us are more in touch with our feelings, as they say, or maybe more emotional than others. In other words, peace is something that we have with God that we can feel and we know we have it. But, on the other hand, we cannot use this to justify sinful and foolish choices. Like saying, oh, I have peace about it. Really? Do you really? 
So we have the peace with God that he gives us when he saves us. Then there is the peace of God, the peace of God, which can be illustrated in the life of Jesus in his earthly ministry as he walked filled with the Holy Spirit and he had the peace with God continually, this personal peace. Now, I borrowed from James Boyce here. He says there are two main characteristics of this peace, the peace of God and then the peace with God. This is the peace with God. First, it is a peace based on one's intimate knowledge of God, a God who is in control of all things. This only a Christian can have. Having the peace, uh, having peace with God, the, the judicial transaction that takes place, a justification by faith alone. Uh, when he adopts us into his family, we have the peace with God then. When he saves our souls, no longer enemies, friends of God. We're now his children. We have peace with God. And then peace of God, a peace based on one's knowledge of God, a God who is in control. The things to meditate upon underneath this heading would be the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. And the fact that he has purposes in everything that this world, that's happening in this world. He has purposes in everything that is going on in your life this day. That went on last week. That the the individuals who had appointments on Friday that they went through, that we prayed for, that they went through. There was a purpose for that. And now they're on the other side of that. In everything, God has a reason. And based on our knowledge of God, with this peace we have, the peace of God, because we know who God is, and we continue to cultivate a rich and near intimacy with the Holy One. Now, as we back away from that, do not expect to have uh, this peace of God. Second, this peace is entirely independent of circumstances. Consider the circumstances that raged around the Lord Jesus Christ. Consider the circumstances of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he sweat drops of blood, where he agonized in prayer, where he fell down over and over again, praying to God, the Father. Circumstances raged around Jesus, but he was totally unruffled by them. Does this peace of God describe how we respond? Circumstances. When the world is raging around us. Indeed, it is raging in many ways. It can be easy to get our focus off the Lord when every pillar of our society is falling, falling, or has fallen already, except the church of Jesus Christ. But on Christ is exactly where we need to have our focus so that we can have the peace of God in our lives. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of Christ Rule in your hearts. The peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Put that verse, part of that verse, on, your, on a post-it note in your car as you're driving. Let the peace of Christ rule in my heart, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. And then, verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. That is how we can have peace of God in our lives. So the peace with God, Romans 5.1, justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That never changes for the believer. 
we are saved and we are being saved and we will continually be saved and we will make it to the other side by his grace. The peace with God. And then the peace of God, which we just looked at in in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, speaks on. And then we say, where is this peace from? And we know that it is from God, hence our verse in John chapter 14 this morning, from Jesus. So we have a promised peace, a promised peace from Jesus Christ. And then secondly, we have the puppets of propaganda. We have puppets of propaganda. Children, if you don't know what propaganda is, and I'm speaking little children, I'm not saying you guys are children. Kids, if you don't know that word, it's a good discussion for on the way home. Propaganda, what is that? Your parents would be delighted to explain it to you. Puppets of propaganda. Not peace that the world gives, the Lord says. He's clear on this. Crystal clear. He's going to leave them with peace, this peace I give you, this treasure of peace, this peace that is for us as well. He says, it is not as the world gives. Well, we ask, okay, then what is the peace that the world gives? Well, how much time do we have this morning? We'll try to look at it in a couple of ways. Well, the world offers a peace that is temporary at best right? Band-aid applications at times. Bandage us up, send us out, may, may be peaceful for a while, but the bandage falls off, doesn't last. It is a counterfeit peace that ends in destruction. A counterfeit peace that ends in destruction. What is the message that is preached that promotes a false sense of security? Well, we, say, we see this from pulpits, and we see this from the world as well. And it is peace and safety. Peace and safety. Now, we consider the true and the false. He-Man had Faker, if you remember Faker, if you know who He-Man is. Faker was Skeletor's, I think it was his invention or whatnot, but it's fake. It was a fake He-Man and fooled people. If you're watching, you can see while he's blue and has orange hair, I know that he's not real, but he deceived others. Michael Knight had an evil twin, Garth. Now, I'm not, I'm not promoting that you should watch Knight Rider. These are things I was exposed to as a kid. Things that I was exposed to as a, as a kid, shows that I was exposed to as a kid, I should have never have watched. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. As a kid, you're like, wow, this is great. And you try to show your children now, and you're like, how did I, my parents, even let me? But he had an evil twin. Even his car did. His car kit had car. I don't know who comes up with this stuff, but... We, though, very seriously... We have true prophets, and we have false prophets. Now, some of us can be very discerning, just like as we would see the show or whatnot, and we'd say, it's so obvious it's not real. He's not the real one. I mean, he looks different. And this evil twin, he's got a goatee and stuff. It's totally different. But fools people. The same can be true of those who are dangerous within Christianity. And you try to warn people who are professing Christians who might even be new to the faith, and they just do not see it. We have a responsibility to be discerning so that when we hear these teachers say, peace and safety, we turn the other way. False prophets in the Old Testament and the New Testament in today. In the Old Testament, Jeremiah was telling of upcoming destruction of Jerusalem. Jeremiah 14. The false prophets, though, were saying, no, You will not see the sword, nor will you have famine, but I will give you lasting peace in this place. Then the Lord said to Jeremiah, The prophets are prophesying falsehood in my name. I have neither sent them, nor commanded them, nor spoken to them. 
They are prophesying to you a false vision, divination, futility, and the deception of their own minds. These false prophets in Jeremiah's day promised something that would not be delivered. And the same is true today within quote-unquote Christianity. Thus says the Lord of hosts, they have healed the brokenness of my people superficially, saying, peace, peace, but there is no peace. Similar situation in Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 7. I'll just read this one. Ezekiel 7 and then Ezekiel 13. Ezekiel 7, 1 through 6. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, in Ezekiel 7, verse 1, And you, son of man, thus says the Lord God to the land of Israel, An end, the end is coming on the four corners of the land. Now the end is upon you, and I will send my anger against you. I will judge you according to your ways and bring all your abominations upon you. For my eye will have no pity on you, nor will I spare you. But I will bring your ways upon you, and your abominations will be among you. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, a disaster, unique disaster, behold, is coming. An end is coming. The end has come. It has awakened against you. Behold, it has come. The message of the true prophet. And then, chapter 13, the message of the false prophets. Verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel, who prophesy and say to those who prophesy from their own inspiration, Listen to the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Woe to the foolish prophets! Who are following their own spirit and have seen nothing. O Israel, your prophets have been like foxes among ruins. You have not gone up into the breaches, nor did you build the wall around the house of Israel to stand in the battle on the day of the Lord. They see falsehood and lying divination who are saying, The Lord declares, when the Lord has not sent them, yet they hope for the fulfillment of their word. Did you not see a false vision and speak a lying divination when you said the Lord declares, but it is not I who have spoken? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have spoken falsehood and seen a lie, therefore, behold, I am against you, declares the Lord God. So my hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and utter lying divinations. They will have no place in the council of my people nor will they be written down in the register of the house of Israel, nor will they enter the land of Israel, that you may know that I am the Lord God. It is definitely because they have misled my people by saying, Peace, when there is no peace. I'll leave it there on that. Verse 4 mentioned foxes. It was John Calvin who said the pastor ought to have two voices, one for gathering the sheep and another for warding off and driving away wolves and thieves. I'll add foxes to that as well. Jude warns us in verse 4. I'll read it for you. Certain persons have crept in unnoticed. You know how a creeper walks. Crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. These men are sly like the fox, unscrupulous in getting what they want. They, they, they creep in unnoticed, under the radar, but when they are noticed, they have to be dealt with. If you have livestock, such as chickens, you have, to, you have to watch. You have to beware, be on guard against predators. They're a flock. I happen to have chickens. They are fenced in, protected, and they congregate together as one flock. And they go about their day, 
Recently, two foxes came to this flock. They crept in unnoticed. One of the flock was quickly devoured. A weak, undiscerning one of the flock. Taken down by one of the predators. The other fox wounded one of the flock. Bit into one, causing chaos within the flock. Yet the watchman on the wall was able to see both foxes. One fox got away after taking away one of the flock and will return another day to do more damage, to creep in again. One fox will not be returning to damage the flock again. The point being, predators of the flock of God must be dealt with. They teach a false peace. They creep in unnoticed and must be dealt with swiftly. The flock must be warned of predators on a consistent basis. Again, going back to Calvin's quote, two voices. When a flock gets too cozy, relaxed, unaware, undiscerning, the predator will make his move. So you must be consistently warned of these, of those who promote a false peace. Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Thirdly, thirdly, a pleasureful and prideful preoccupation. A pleasureful and prideful preoccupation. Considering as Christ leaves, uh, his parting gift to them, as it were, was this peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I, do I give you. A promised peace, not from the puppets of propaganda, but there will be those who are living a pleasureful and prideful and preoccupied life. In the New Testament, the Bible speaks of Christ's sudden return, while people are saying, there is peace and safety. First Thessalonians 5, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying, peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. The world, unprepared, due to false assumptions of peace. Similar to what Jesus says in Matthew 24, for the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in these days, before, for in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Worldwide flood, worldwide judgment. The point, the world will be oblivious, preoccupied with self and pleasure and worldly pursuits that it would never be named among anyone who is here of Grace Covenant Church that you would be included in this crowd. The same things that keep people from considering the things of the Lord and eternity now will be their utter downfall when the Lord returns like a thief in the night. Richard Phillips says, in virtually every judgment recorded in the Bible, worldly unbelievers, having turned from the light of God's word, were completely in the dark about the devastation about to strike them. And the devastation will strike again when the Lord comes in judgment. If the Roman Empire in Paul's day was to have political slogans, it would be, this is where you can find peace and safety. Peace and safety can be found here. If they had those yard signs that we see certain times of the year and we say, not anymore. 
please, no more of those things. Take them down. It's been four months. Same idea, though, with the campaign slogans of today that the world promotes. They were foolish then, and they are foolish now. Every endeavor by man is laced and crippled by corruption of sin. Uh, Tim Shenton says, Unbelievers only believe what they can see. As they cannot see the judgment of God approaching, they dismiss it as a fantasy and scaremongering. They are deaf to the warnings of God, absorbed in their own selfishness, and utterly blind to the judgment that is hanging over them. And for the Christian, therefore, it is absolutely necessary for us to speak the truth boldly about the coming judgment of the Lord. I was evangelizing last week with some others. We were minding our own business, just standing there, praying, evangelizing, talking to folks. And there was someone a little distance away that was doing something quite different, that was promoting a ungodly, warped, perverse, disgusting worldview. And so people would come by and congratulate this individual. And one gentleman said to me, as we have bomb throwers, because most people are too much of a coward to come and talk to you and have a conversation. They'd rather throw bombs and say things, such as, you are worse than the Taliban. And I asked him if he's ever been there. And he said no. He has no idea even what the Taliban is. He's just parroting what the world says and thinks that he's uh, witty by throwing out a comment, lost and congratulating the perversity of this world. It's absolutely necessary, Christian, for us to speak the truth boldly about the return of Christ and that judgment is coming. We do not know when our loved one's last day will be. 36 years ago, a few days ago, 36 years ago, I was reminded by my sister. 12 years old I was then. Now I just gave away my age. Great. I was, the day before, seemed like everything fine. Go to school that day. Dad's supposed to pick me up from school that morning or that afternoon. Never came. Never showed up. I didn't know what to expect. That's because he was dead on the floor at home. Twelve years old. Some of you children in here, you have parents. Some of you older in here, you have parents. You never know when that last day will be. Life is but a vapor. That was one of those sudden departures no one can prepare you for. And then there's the other kind, where someone in your family gets terminally ill. Like I experienced with my mother. And then you can watch a slow death. And you go through it. And the Lord prepares you for it. And helps you to help other people that have, are going through either one of a farewell. Not knowing not sure by any stretch where their eternal destination, where they went. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat. The earth and its works will be burned up. In Revelation 6, uh, 15 through 17, Then the kings of the earth... And the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us 
from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of the wrath has come, and who is able to stand? None are able to stand. Jesus referenced Noah's flood as a type of future judgment. People were living, doing their own thing, oblivious, then came the flood. Today, people are living, doing their own thing, not thinking of Christ, not worshiping Christ, and a future judgment will come, this time by fire. Therefore, we understand why peace with God is an absolute necessity for everyone. Peace, not spiritual paralysis. Fourth, peace, not spiritual paralysis. Jesus said to, says to them, do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. And this is applied to us as well, Christian. Jesus says this in verse 1 of chapter 14, and he says it again here. Again, the, the hearers indeed were troubled. Anxious, hurting, in pain, turmoil. The departure was coming. They were fearful, timid, perplexed. Everything that they just heard. And this was just a preview of coming attractions. Things were going to get much more difficult for them in a short period of time. Jesus was the one who was going to be suffering far greater than they could comprehend. Jesus knew this, yet he was concerned for them. And the only reason that they could be of calm spirits and not be fearful is because of the peace that Christ is leaving with them. He offers them peace on the verge of his execution. For the disciples, it was trouble without and trouble within. We know that phrase, trouble without and trouble within. It's true for them, it's true for us today. Only peace available to assuage a troubled heart is found in Christ alone. First, we understand we must have peace with God. Only comes through repentance of our sin, faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the salvation of our souls. Peace with God is reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ. Let me read Colossians briefly here. <clears throat> Colossians 1, 15 through 20. <clears throat> I'll start in verse 13. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and, and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. It was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. And here's our verse. And through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. This peace through the blood of his cross that we recall, that we remember when we are going through a time that is not peaceful in our hearts. This peace with God, this peace from God, from Christ alone, as he conquers the heart of man. The peace of God. As a Christian, you, you have peace with God. Now, you have peace from God. Why would we seek to enter a conflict with God once again? Some reasons why our inward peace that has been given to us can be rocked to the core at times. Some reasons why I will give for you this morning. First reason, unconfessed and unrepentant sin. Unconfessed and unrepentant sin. 
very simply, and the simple remedy for that is, is confession and repentance of that unrepentant sin. Secondly, trials from outside our control. Trials that come from outside of our control. I remember back in the day, a pastor, he used to say, they call these blindsided trials. Blindsided trials. Some trials we can see that are coming. We know it gets worse. It's kind of like uh, the hurricane is approaching. We see it. We say, all right, here it is. It's going to be a category so-and-so. But others are just, we're blindsided by them. We've all been there. We understand. We know. We know they're outside of our control, but God is the one who is in control. Right? right? We see that, God, this is outside of my control, but you are a God who is in control. The remedy, Charles Spurgeon says, learn to kiss the wave that throws you against the rock of ages. Where does that trial throw you? It should throw you unto the rock of ages, unto Christ, drawing nearer to him. Thirdly, a lack of focus on the things of the Lord. So first, these are reasons why our inward peace has been and can be rocked to the core. Unconfessed, unrepentant sin, remedy, repent and and confess it. Trials from outside our control, we recognize once again, we, we meditate upon the sovereignty of God, the providence of God, and that indeed he is in control. And lack of focus on the things of the Lord, the means of grace, And under this, all men worship someone or something. Our minds each day are dwelling on someone or something. The question is who or what? Lack of focus of the things of the Lord can disrupt our peace that God has given us. When spiritual disciplines are lacking, when prayer is is lacking, when the word of God, reading, memorizing, and hearing is lacking, when the lack of church attendance and participation is lacking, when the lack of fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ is lacking, the remedy for all of this is just respond in the other way. Say, God, help me to pray. My spiritual disciplines are lacking, O Lord. Help me with that. My mind is being dwelling on this, God. I want to be dwelling on what you would have me to dwell on. And so on and so forth. Spurgeon gives us another remedy. When filled with holy truth, the mind rests. When filled with holy truth, the mind rests. Sometimes it's just as simple as opening up the Word of God, and praying over the Word of God that you open up to. Specifically, the Psalms is helpful in that. Another uh, hindrance to inward peace can be strained relationships. Strained relationships. On our part, we seek to be at peace with all men as far as we can be. Maybe the other party does not want that. Well, they have to deal with that before God. We do what we can on our part, and we rest in that. We're reminded as well, hindrances, the foe, the flesh, and the fallen world. The foe, the flesh, and the fallen world. The foe, of course, is the devil who is active, prouncing around like a roaring lion, seeking for someone to devour, also disguises himself as an angel of light, Then we have the flesh, our old man, our indwelling sin that we deal with and will continue to deal with on this side of glory. And then we have the fallen world, the systems and people of this fallen world. Yet our peace that was given to us from God will not ultimately be taken away from us because he has given us his peace. And God has caused us to be reconciled to him in order to give us this peace. 
John Owen said, all peace with God is resolved into a purging atonement made for sin. Indeed, full atonement it was. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Do not leave today without a peaceful resolution. A peaceful resolution can only be found in reconciling yourself back to God through Jesus Christ, bowing the knee to Christ and saying, I am a hell-deserving sinner, O God, and I need the Savior to save my soul or else I go to hell and perish there. If you're without Christ, repent and believe. Be at peace with God today. For the Christians, you have peace with God. Do you have the peace of God today in the trials you face now? This is the time. Today is the day to draw near to him once again. Let us pray. Oh God, thank you that you give us a promised peace in your word. You give us your Holy Spirit. Thank you that we are saved by the Prince of Peace. And because of who you are and what you have done for us, we are no longer at war with you. You're no longer at war with us, oh God. Thank you. Let us never get over the fact that you have saved us and redeemed us. Help us to avoid the puppets of propaganda, O Lord. Those who would seek to lie to us, give us false remedies. Lord, give us a heart that will, will warn and love and pray for those who are living in a pleasureful and prideful preoccupation with this world and are not ready to face the judgment to come. And we thank you, God, that you give us peace, not spiritual paralysis. And at times when we feel like we are paralyzed spiritually, oh Lord, we look to you that you would help us. Without you, we are nothing. In Jesus' name, amen.